Good morning. <clears throat> Sorry, got a little frog in my throat. It's great to be with you this morning. I want to start out uh, by asking an easy question. Why are you here? Why are you here? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go around and, and point you out and say, you know, come on, why, why, why are you here? But that's, that's kind of the question that we're going to ask and answer this morning is why you're here. And I, let me just start out by saying that why <clears throat> matters. And let me give you an, an example of that. So uh, when I was uh, first going into college, uh, my minor was in psychology, and I took a bunch of psychology classes. <clears throat> and it was an okay experience, but to be honest with you, I was only responsible pretty much for myself at 18 and 19 years old, and um, I had no clue how complicated relationships were and how important that psychology could actually be. So I got a little bit out of it. Uh, I had to pay attention. I was on scholarship, and you know how that goes. Um, but it, it was an experience, let's say. But 10 years later, I was in seminary, and uh, part of my emphasis uh, put me in some more psychology classes, but it was a completely different experience. First of all, I was in ministry, and now other people were coming to me with their problems, which is much different than my own. Uh, with my own problems, if I don't have an answer, I'm like, I don't have an answer. I'm fine with it. But I felt responsible when other people came to me when they asked for advice, like, I should be able to say something after all, like, I'm a pastor, right? I also had been married for about three uh, years, and you all know that navigating marriage life takes uh, not just commitment, but some knowledge and some growth. And then I was also a new dad. Uh, we had our, our first little girl at that time. Needless to say, all of a sudden, I was engulfed in the classes. I, I paid attention closer, and I got so much more out of it. And the big reason for that, obviously, is because I had a reason to be there. And it was clear to me before, you know, this was what was assigned to me, and this was what was good for me, and yada, yada, yada. But now I had a reason. And, and that's the basic principle. When you understand the why... Not only do you want to be there more, but it matters that you're there. It matters that you're there. If you have trouble engaging with something, there's a good probability that you don't really understand the why of that thing. It's just something that you're going through the motions of. So that leads me back to the question for today. Why are we here? Why are we here? Now, there could be several answers to that question, right? Some of you all might be, this might be really new to you. And your basic question is, is this God thing real? Is God real? I came to just find that out. Is God real? Maybe for a lot of people, it's to be part of a community. I mean, it's just, it's hard to connect. We don't do neighbor kind of thing at work and neighborhoods forget that, right? So church is a logical place where you can kind of connect with people in your same stage of life and whatnot. You'd be surprised at how many people are here. That's the why that they're here, right? Some of you want life change or you want more fulfillment out of life. Most of you all look pretty young, so, so you're still trying to figure that out. Uh, I know uh, the older you get, the more you're like, you know what, this job thing, this new car thing, this new house thing, this family thing, it's not what I thought it was. And so you begin to look for more fulfillment. Or maybe you're just really scared. You're like, eternal life, man, that heaven deal, I don't want to miss out on that. 
Some want to actually grow in their, in their faith and what they understand of the religion that they grew up in, and so that's why they're here. Others, they're here because they want their kids to have good morals. They're not necessarily into the whole church thing, but you know what? It teaches good, good things, and I want my kids to have that, and so that's why they're here. And then there might be some of you here that just are clueless. <laughs> I have no clue why I'm here. If you're clear on the why you're here, or you're not clear, I should say, then you probably won't get much out of it. It's just how the principle works. And the clearer you are on the why, the more you will get out of it. So if you were to ask me, for instance, why are we here? Well, I'm going to give you an answer in code, okay? It's to become dusty disciples of Jesus. Now, I know right away uh, that's Christian code, and you're like scratching your head. And, you know, that's a teacher's way of getting you to pay attention more. Because if I just told you right up front, then I'd have nothing else to say. So um, we're going to go this route, to be dusty disciples of Jesus. So let me give you the context a little bit of this. And I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. It says, as Jesus was uh, walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Now, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were also in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, it's a, it would be the Christian thing to read this and go, oh, cool, they follow Jesus and just go on. But if you weren't raised in the church, you got to read this and go, what? This makes no sense. Can you imagine uh, at your job at, at Google or LinkedIn or Wendy's or I don't know, wherever it is that you work, and you're working with someone, and this is their career, this is their job, and somebody walks in and turns to them and says, follow me. And all of a sudden, they leave their cubicle. They leave the, the cash register. They leave whatever. And they drop everything, their entire life, to follow them. Wouldn't you be going, what just happened? What just happened? And I think we have to ask the question here. It's a logical question. Why in the world would they drop everything and follow? Two of them are with their dad. They're, they're in the family business, and they just drop everything and follow him. What is going on? on here. I'm going to explain because the, the, what, what is happening is, is found in those two key words, follow me. And it's so easy for you and I to miss because we don't understand the cultural context. So let me explain to you a little bit about the cultural context. So in the first century, some of you may already know, but I have a Jewish uh, heritage. My father was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home, became a Christian by God's grace through the Christian Businessmen Association, but I was raised with deep Jewish roots. And for us, in the, in, uh, in the first century, in Jewish education, there was these three steps of education. You know, for us, it's elementary, middle school, and high school, okay? But for a Jew in the first century, it was Beth Sefer, Beth Midrash, and Tamim, becoming a Tamim. So in the beginning, almost everybody, especially if you were in the city, started with Beth Sefer, usually a lot of times with the rabbi. So let's just say everybody in this room at around kindergarten-ish 
age uh, would kind of spend a little time at uh, Bet Sefer. And the, and the main topic was the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's where you would learn to read and write. And by the way, you would almost memorize all five of those books verbatim. Most Jewish kids, male and female, by the way, knew the first five books of the Bible just about verbatim. It's the heart of the faith. So if you can imagine, guys and gals, if if most of the folks uh, did this, there is an unusual thing in that the next step, uh, Beit Midrash, most of y'all would um, go on to the family trade. For the gals, you would go on to learn how to care for a home and and all that that required. For the guys, whatever, there was no, what do I want to do with my life? You don't get to ask that question. You do what daddy does. And he'll teach you the trade. And most folks at the age of around, let's say, 12-ish years old, after, after uh, Beit Sefer, they would go do that. But a select few, right? Let's just say maybe 20 students sitting in this section right here. These are the exceptional ones. Aren't you glad you sat there this morning? They're the exceptional ones. So they're either exceptional in terms of they, they are really good at learning, they really, really love God's Word, or they come from a very rich family. Who can afford this? Okay? They would go on to the next section, which is Beit Midrash. In that, they would learn the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. So that's from Joshua all the way through Malachi. They would use, they would study that and they would study with the rabbi from about 12 to around 16-ish years of age. Now, at the end of that time, most of them would be done. They would go off just like everybody else and do what daddy did, or they would learn with mom and how to take care of the household, and you're done with your education. But the best of the best of the best, so maybe two or three out of this entire room, would go to a rabbi, usually the local rabbi, but it could be another rabbi, and they would actually ask to be one of his Talmud. Now, Talmud is the Hebrew word we translate disciple. It's both used generally, anyone who's a student, so when everybody was in Beit Sefer, you were all disciples. But, in, but at the end of this education, it's something very specific. It's somebody the rabbi chooses. And so they would apply to the rabbi to be one of his Talmud. And the, and the rabbi then would kind of evaluate them. He would maybe test them about their knowledge of the scriptures. Um, perhaps he would have the student follow him around for a little while uh, to get to know his character. Uh, most of the applicants, by the way, wouldn't make the cut. Because the rabbi's not just looking, he's not just looking for a student to follow him. This isn't like our education system. What the rabbi is doing is he's trying to evaluate whether or not um, the student cannot just know what they know, but they can do what they do. That they, that they will carry out the law the way they carry out the law. That they will emphasize the things that they emphasize. That in essence, their will and their character will reflect their own. By the way, all those requirements in this day are called the yoke. 
the rabbi's yoke. It's what he puts upon you. That's why Jesus comes along and says, my yoke is light. He's talking about what he puts upon you. Now, after all that evaluation, again, normally the rabbi would go to the one who applicant and they would say something about, you know, I love your passion for the Torah. It's the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures. I, I appreciate your passion, but you know, you should go home and do the family tray. But the best of the best of the best, he would invite to follow him. And often he would do that by simply saying, follow me. You see, those two words, follow me, is kind of like on some cultural circles, for instance, it's like getting accepted into the top doctrinal medical program at Stanford. Now, can you imagine if, if you're a parent and your student gets an invitation, full scholarship, to a postdoctorate medical work at Stanford, do you think any parent or most parents are going to cry over that? No. So you know what Father Zebedee did when his sons left the boat? He praised the Lord. You see, they were fishing. They were, they were doing the family business. They weren't the best of the best. They were the B team. And then along comes the master, and he calls them to follow him. You see, this is Jesus' view. If you were to look up uh, another writer of the scriptures of, of the historical accounts of Jesus is Luke. And if you were to look this verse up in the complete Jewish Bible, so your English Bible translates Talmud, disciple, rabbi, teacher, but, if, but the Hebrew words would come like this in Luke 640. A Talmud is not above his rabbi, but each one when he is fully trained will be like his rabbi. Now this word like is a Greek word. I'm not even going to pronounce it because it really doesn't matter. What matters is this. What matters is it's not just like, like they have the same haircut. It's not just like and that they know the scriptures. It's like in that it reflects the quality of a person, a thing or action, as to be equivalent or exactly like. It's kind of like the older you get, the more like your parents you become and you don't even want to be. You've just been around them so much that you begin to reflect that. It's the same idea. And, and, and we're not just talking about the way you look. We're talking about the way you respond to your kids. We're talking about the way you respond to life. We're talking about the things that you used to think that were really dorky about your parents. Now you're the dork because you're becoming like them. And that was what Jesus was looking for, people to become like him. And the disciples are invited into this. Now, in Jesus' day, there is a, an indicator of a good disciple. And a, a good disciple was somebody who was really dirty. Why were they dirty? Well, think about the, the 12 disciples now, the Talmud of Jesus who followed him. There are no roads, or very few roads. And what there is, is dusty and dirty, and there's a bunch of gunk on it. And so if you're falling closely behind your master, at day's end, what? You're covered with dust because you were right behind them. Right now, I understand most of you all are from the city or maybe the barrier or whatnot. And so I just came from Oklahoma. You don't get this, but you hate to be the second car in Oklahoma on a dirt road because all there is is dust. 
All there is, it's the first car is great, but everything after that, all you get is dust. It's the same thing walking on these things. But in the first century, this was a blessing. This was great because the dirtier you are, that means that you are right behind the master. And if you're right behind the master and you're doing what he does and you're hearing what, he, what he's saying, and that's a great sign. So a saying arose, may you be covered in the dust of your master. You see, it's a blessing, really. It was the highest mark of a disciple to be dusty. Now, there are many things that we can hope out of, out of, to get out of this gathering. But, but the heart of it is, if you're a follower of Jesus, is you should want to be dusty, falling closely behind Christ. So let me, let me just touch upon the dust of Jesus. What, what exactly, what does that mean? What does it mean to be like Jesus? Now, the key to this, we go back to Matthew uh, 4. I think this is 10, but it's really 19. It's 419, right? Is Jesus' call to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, it's a short statement, but it is packed. The first part of this is the invitation the invitation to follow me. To be in in the dust of Jesus, to to be a disciple of Jesus, to come together in this gathering is to focus and follow Jesus. Now, this is hugely different than what we are used to. For instance, let me explain it this way. Right now, if you were to go to university, right, um, you have this whole list of classes, that you're supposed to take. There's GE, and then there's your major. And so you go through the catalog, and in the catalog, you know, you're supposed to take a psych class. And so you look up psych, right? And you look up the time that's not like the first thing in the morning, right? If you can. And you take that class. And maybe someone tells you, hey, if you take, you know, math 102, the teacher's really cool and doesn't care if you turn in the homework. And so you pick that one, Right? But the point is, you got all these things that you need to learn in order to graduate. But to follow Jesus is different. To follow Jesus would be like to, to go into the back of the manual where it lists the faculty. And you look at the faculty and you're, and you're like, who do I want to become? Which of the faculty do I want to think like? Which of the faculty do I want to parent like? Which of the faculty do I want to, I want to be like them? And once you identify that, that, that faculty member, then you go to the book and you're like, anything that they teach, I'm going to take. Anything. Where they have office hours, I'm going to be there. See, it's a completely different mindset. Why? Because you're not trying to attain some facts. You're trying to be like someone. And so Jesus' invitation to you isn't to learn his facts, to learn your Bible to learn what it means to be religious. His invitation is to follow me. Do what I do. Think like I think. Pray the way I pray. Glorify God the way I glorify God. Lay your life down the way I lay my life down. Love the people I love. Resist the people I resist. Live your life for the things that I live my life for. Follow me. 
That's the invitation. The second part is the process. And this is key. Because Jesus doesn't say, follow me and try really hard. Right? That's kind of the message a lot of us got growing up. Maybe you're still getting that from your parents. Here's the standard, try, 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 try. And if you fail, you didn't try hard enough. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I will make you. Who takes ownership there? Not you, not me. Jesus does. And that is key. Let me take you to another passage written uh, by uh, Luke. And um, Luke's recording an account Shortly after, now think about this, Peter and his brother Andrew decide to follow Jesus, along with James and John. They're following Jesus now, right? They've been, they've been called to be his disciples, but they're still doing some, some work. It's not a full-time gig yet. And so they've been out, Peter in particular has been out fishing all night, and Jesus shows up, and he's like, hey, Peter, can I use your boat? Well, Peter didn't catch anything all night, which, by the way, is the prime time for catching fish, especially early in the morning. He doesn't catch anything, so he's like, what better thing do I have to do? It's the rabbi, sure, whatnot. Use my boat to teach. So he does. And then when he's done, he turns to Peter, the fisherman, the rabbi, the religious guy, turns to the fisherman and says, hey, let's go out and fish. Well, now it's getting to be the heat of the day. They didn't catch anything at night or early morning. There's no way they're going to catch fish now. Peter kind of says, you know, maybe, but you're the master, all right. So they go out, and of course, this is Jesus we're talking about, so you know the end of the story. They catch a ton, not just a little, not just a great catch, like a miraculous catch. Now, I want you to see Peter's response here. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, go away from me, Lord. I I'm a sinful man. For he, being Peter and all his companions, were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. All these fishermen were astounded. And it was, it was at this moment. Now notice, you know, Peter doesn't know the full story. We have the advantage of the full story. Peter doesn't know the full story. There's this famous rabbi. He's kind of gaining a little following. It seems like he's done some really cool things. He said some cool things. And he invites you to follow him. You're like, great! The rabbi said that I can know what he knows and does what he do, does. And... But then all of a sudden, this rabbi does something otherworldly. And you begin to understand he is not just a normal, everyday rabbi. He has divine power. He is a holy man. Now, the first time it was like it was exciting to get the invitation, but now Peter's not excited because what Peter does is he looks at himself and he goes, I'm not holy. And there's no way I could ever do that. Jesus made a mistake. That's what's going on here. It's not like Peter didn't know he was a sinful man before this. He just, he knew the expectation of a disciple. The expectation of a disciple is that he be like his master. And Peter is like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Jesus' response. Jesus' response is, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. What was Peter afraid of? He wasn't afraid of Jesus. What was he afraid of? Failure. That he couldn't do 
what was going to be asked of him. And then Jesus goes on and say, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. You see, Peter looked at his own resources. But Jesus wasn't looking at his own resources because to follow him isn't what you will do. To follow him is what he is going to do. Follow me and I will make you. You see, he paid the price for our sin. That comes later on in the story. What we could not do, the consequence of our, of our brokenness relationship with God, and by the way, our brokenness relationship with each other, Jesus paid the consequence. But even more than that, he offers a power to do in us and through us what we cannot do ourselves. When, we go, when you go to Jesus and you go, I can't do that, Jesus doesn't go, oh, yes, you can. That's a good American way of thinking. Maybe it's not just American. Interesting enough, when we go to Jesus and say, I can't, Jesus goes, well, you finally got that one right. That's kind of why I came. My father and I kind of discussed it, Joel, and we knew that no matter how much time we gave you, no matter how many miracles we did, you weren't ever going to get it together. So we came up with this plan. This is a loose translation. So he came up with this plan, and I decided, A, to do for you what you could not do yourself, so that, B, I can do in you what you cannot do yourself. Follow me, and I will make you, and then comes the outcome, fishers of men. Right up front, Jesus tells us the goal. You cannot not follow Jesus and not end up being a light in the darkness bringing uh, water to the thirsty, bringing the gospel to the lost. There's no way to follow Jesus in that it is not the work of missionaries. They may spend, vocational missionaries may spend, like Paul, more time on it, but it is his call for all of his disciples, including most of the disciples, but by the way, who didn't leave Jerusalem. I will make you fishers of men. It's his, it's his intention that you and I, as we walk in his dust and do what he does, develop his heart, and Jesus has the heart to leave the 99 for the one. Jesus has the heart to see the lost and the lame enter into the kingdom. And if we're going to be his followers, or we're going to be dusty, we should too. So let me ask you this. Are you here to become dusty? The way you answer that can make all the difference in the world. I'm not, I'm not just saying that like religiously, like it's a great question to ask. I mean, I mean just the, the bare facts, if you understand why you're here, it'll make a difference. And if you're here just for fellowship, you know what? This, is a, this looks like a really happening crowd. I think you'll get fellowship. You'll get loved on. Maybe if you have to move, somebody will help you move. But you won't experience that abundant life that Jesus offers if you're just here for fellowship. If you're just here, if you're just here, you know, to get change in your life. Maybe you're an alcoholic. Maybe you just can't, you know, get over the career hump, or you just can't find the right spouse, or whatever it is. Those things will happen, but you won't experience what Jesus is calling you for. That's why you're here. If you're here just to get into heaven, it doesn't work that way. Heaven is not a reward for the good. Let me say that again. 
Heaven is not a reward for the good. It's a place for God's children. By the way, who often are not good. They strive to be. They want to be. That's the good news. But we enter in by grace, not by our good works. Your kids may develop good morals, but their life will come to nothing if you're not here to be dusty disciples of Jesus. Jesus is looking for Talmud, who desire more than anything to be like him. Now, granted, let me, let me just complete honesty here. None of us are on board for everything that Jesus wants us to do. None of us, including, by the way, the guy standing in front of you, right? What I love about God is that, is that he'll take a clenched fist. What I mean by that is you can hold out here and say, God, here it is, but I don't want to let it go. You'll have to help me. <laughs> okay. If you do this, he won't touch it, or he'll put things in your life until you're ready to do this. But you don't have to come to an open hand. You can come to it with a clenched fist. As long as there's a willingness for God to do what you cannot do yourself, he will take that. He's looking for those that will follow to be open to transformation that changes the way we think about and understand God, that will imitate him in our words, in our deeds, and most of all, our very will will change. The center of our lives will change from self, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. We're uh, about to uh, time, like Pastor said, take some communion. And the, the key element when Jesus does this, he brings these, these followers together on his last earthly supper before his death and resurrection and when he takes the cup and the bread based on the, the uh, Exodus, Passover. But the key thing is remember. What? Remember me. The body is me broken. The cup is my blood. Remember. That is the heart of communion. Remembering the example of our master and that he is the one we must follow. And that he followed God even to the breaking of his body. And that as his followers, there are going to be broken things in our lives that our friends and our family, even by the way, sometimes our church won't get. You're going to go where? You're going to give what? You're going to commit to this? Follow me, remembering the example of our master. Second of all, remembering that bloodshed, remembering what our master did for us that we could not do for ourselves. None of us could die for our own sins. It took Jesus to do that. And then remembering that the master promised that he would transform us into something new, that we're new creations. And as new creations, we have a new center of our life, which is to bring light to the nations, to the person in the cubicle next to us, to the neighbor next to us, to the person in the grocery line. Believe it or not, even the people that might be sitting on your left and right now, that are here for reasons unknown. And so as I close, I just want to, I want to just ask a blessing upon you. May you walk in the dust of the master. We pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this kind of love. That when you saw that we lacked, you didn't complain about it. You didn't reject us. You can say they get what they deserve, but you loved us so much that you gave your only son that whoever 
believes and follows him will have eternal life, which is knowing you, knowing the Son, Jesus, whom you sent. Father, I pray that you just shine your light on just one area of our life, dear God. I know we would be consumed if we saw all the areas that we are undusty. But would you just shine the light on just one area, dear God, that we can learn to follow and trust you on, that, that you can transform, dear God. There are areas of our life that, that you're trying to convict us of, and we've been hard-hearted. Forgive us, dear Lord. Soften our hearts. Help us let go and let you do that transformation, dear God. I thank you that we live in such a beautiful, wonderful place with great weather, dear Lord. But help us not be so distracted that we miss that we're here not for the weather, not for the wealth, not to have a good family and a great retirement. We are here to bring light to the nations as Jesus would. Would you stir that in us and through us that it matters that we are here in this gathering on this day at this time? I pray this in the name of our Lord, our Master, our Savior, the Christ. Amen and amen.